was the first prayer you learned as a child? Think about it. For me, my first prayer as a child was one that perhaps we all have in common. I'm not sure. My first prayer as a child was, now I lay me. How many of you, this is your first prayer? Yeah, exactly. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And then we all said this. You know where I'm going? If I die before I wake, were we, are we a scarred generation or what? If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. What were we thinking? Actually, what were our parents thinking? Does anyone have a different prayer? Like early on? It has to be in English, not in Farsi. Okay, okay, fine. What, is, what was it? Oh, the Shema. Yeah, okay, yeah. So you prayed Deuteronomy 6. Is that what you used to pray? Oh, all of our Jewish brethren here prayed the, prayed the, the Deuteronomy 6. Kate? Yeah, the, our Father who art in heaven. Okay, that was one. Then over here, Judy? Great. All right. Very good. Very good. All right. Sarah, would you have one? God is great and God is, is good. Thank him for our food. Amen. <laughs> yeah, good. Great. God is great. God is good. Yeah, John? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Guide me through the starry night and wake me when the sun shines bright. That is so healthy. Guide me through the starry night. I mean, think about that. That is healthy. It's no wonder you're a good woman, you know? What happened to your sister? I'm not sure. Yeah, that is just such a healthy prayer. I mean, every child didn't go to bed wondering if they're going to wake up the next morning or not. In 2014, the Pew Research Center did a study on prayer, and their study resulted in this fact. 55% of Americans say they pray every single day. 21% say they pray weekly or monthly. 23% say they pray seldom or never. Even among those who say they're religiously unaffiliated, that would be the nuns, as you say. Every time I hear them say nuns, I think of N-U-N, not N-O-N-E. You know, but even among those who are the nuns, the religiously unaffiliated, 20% of them say they pray every day. Yeah. You've got to wonder then, if that many people are praying, what are they praying about? Well... 23% of them, this is a separate study done a little bit earlier in 2005 by Newsweek and Beliefnet.com. Their, their study showed that 23% of people prayed to thank God, which is, you know, good. That's what Paul demonstrates in his prayers all the time. 19% said that they prayed to be close to God or to the divine. 13% to help others and 9% to improve a person's life. So I'm assuming that that category kind of means, dear God, you know, please help my son to do well on the test, whatever the case may be. Please help me to do well in an interview today, that kind of stuff there. You can take a little bit further, and you'll find that a lot of social scientists and scientists and people who study these things would say, they would broaden this category, and they might say meditation as well. We're not going to go that far, but just saying that there are a lot of people talk about the value of being still and meditating or prayer. So what we're going to do for the next few weeks is we're going to focus on prayer as well. But what we're going to do is we're going to focus specifically on the prayer life of Paul. Today, we're going to just kind of do an overview, an introduction to it. And then over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to be looking more in depth at that, some themes and some topics that we see in the prayer life of Paul. I'll tell you up front, as we begin to talk about prayer, 
I feel like I have grown in my prayer life this past year. That's not to say that I think I'm an expert at all. Martin Luther prayed in the mornings for two or three hours a day. George Mueller said he started every single day with several hours of prayer. I don't even think that about me at all. I am more like Philip Yancey who said he's a pilgrim in this aspect of prayer life. That he feels like he is on a journey of growing, learning about it, learning the dynamics of it, and learning about how it is done well. And I would put myself in that same place. I would far more consider that the Lord routinely went away and prayed by himself and made it a habit. I am much more, when I look at those things, I much more identify with the disciples who fell asleep while he was praying. That would be someone I'm like going, those dudes? Yeah, I got it. Me and them, same, same. This morning, what we're going to be talking about this morning, the next few weeks, is just what are some of the aspects of Paul's prayer life? What were they like and how can we begin to gauge ourselves against his prayer life? And how can we grow in our daily prayer life? in our weekly prayer life, or whatever it may be. How can we go from where we are to someplace better over the next few weeks? So Paul, in his letters, he, deal, he revealed a great, great deal about himself. We know, we know about his upbringing as a young Pharisee. We know about his persecution of the church in Acts. We know about his sufferings. He talks about that in Corinthians. We know about his beatings, his imprisonment. We know that he was shipwrecked. We know that he was snake-bitten. We know that he um, was left for dead. We know about his occupation being a tent maker. We know that he had a special relationship with a young man that he had discipled, and he called him his son of the faith. That would be Timothy. We know that he had a thorn, something that he had prayed to God and asked God to remove, but God didn't, and God had responded by saying, my grace is sufficient for you. We know about that, but we don't know the detail of that. But we do see something in his personality of dealing with something, an answered prayer, where God answered other than what he was hoping for. Letters of his that he wrote, we can learn about his prayer life. In, his, in, the, in the letters that he wrote, he wrote 13 letters. 11 of those letters have prayers included in them. And that's a total of 33 prayers in his letters. Now, I'll tell you right now that when you look at, if you go online and you just research prayers of Paul, they might categorize some of his statements and his comments a little bit more broadly than I did. I was more conservative. There are some places where he starts out a prayer, and then, as Paul does, it's a really, like, run-on sentence, and you're not sure where the prayer ended and the preaching started. When I talked about his prayer, I limited it to those passages that I really saw as being the, the essence of the prayer. There are other places where, at the end of his books, often he would say, the peace of God be with you. And many people who categorize his prayer life threw that in as prayers. I didn't. I, I left that more as a closing comment, as a, a blessing. You could call it either way, but I didn't include that when I talked about the prayer life of Paul. Of those 33 prayers, some are really short, only one statement sometimes. Others are really lengthy. The longest of his prayers were in Ephesians and Colossians, as you can imagine. One of them we're going to close our service with today. Romans had the most prayers in it, six prayers. Second Thessalonians had five, Corinthians and First Thessalonians each had four. And then three of his letters were written in prison. Three of his prayers were written, in, three of the letters were written in prison. So all those prayers came underneath the umbrella of that. We're going to look at what, what he was praying about in prison in one of our times together. The most recurring theme in his prayers were the frequency of praying. 
comments he made about praying without ceasing. Comments he says always in prayer. Comments where he said in constant prayer, all the time, devoted to prayer. You're going to see that in his prayer life about seven different times. The other one that's tied at that is this theme of love. In his prayers, he mentions this theme of love in some form or fashion, seven different times. Another one that surprised me was he talks a lot about knowledge in his prayers. He mentions that at least six times. And then the next most frequent one was power. He mentions that at least four times, four times. These, these are all just like the facts and the figures. These are all like an introduction to his prayer life. It's an overview. And we're not going to go into depth in any of these, but I do want us to feel challenged and encouraged by his prayer life today. I want us to establish like a template or a standard for us to even look at our own prayer life just to get started with. I want us to think about if this is my prayer life and this is his prayer life, is there a little gap, a big gap? Is there like, so, is the gap so big you can't even see out in the distance? Is it a mirage that's so far out? Where do we stand in comparison to Paul in his prayer life? For the time that we have remaining, we're going to look at the four primary topics of Paul today, and we're going to establish those a little bit as a template for our own prayer life. We're going to look at those and say, do I pray about the same things that Paul prayed about? Are the things that weigh on my heart when I come into prayer the same things as Paul's? They don't have to be exactly the same, but do there, is there a frequency? Is there a similarity in my prayer life to his prayer life? Let's do this here. Let's begin. The very first one, and you can, we're going to be looking at a lot of passages. If you want to try and keep up, that's fine, but we're going to look at a lot of passages. So today, the very first one is in Colossians 4.2, and this is the theme of consistency, of constancy, of frequency of prayer. So in Colossians 4.2, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Another time he mentions the same thing in Romans 1, 8 through 10. And there he says, First, I thank my God through, Christ, through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. You're going to notice that in many, of his, in many of his letters that he writes, he often begins them with, I thank my God. I thank my God. I, I want to back up and just tell you that in preparing for this study, I was doing another Bible study a while back, and the guy talked about looking at the prayers of Paul, and he says, cataloging them into three areas. And so I used his catalog. The one thing he, he talked about looking at Paul's prayer and cataloging them in three you know, areas was one was in the things that Paul thanked God for. And the, thing, the things that Paul asked God for. And then he had this other category that is a catch-all a little bit. And it was kind of like the things that we learn about prayer. Or we learn about Paul. Or we learn about God in his prayers. So three areas. What Paul asked for. What he thanked God for. And then what we learn about God. About Paul. About prayer. Even so here in this, in this category. In this first, the second passage of Romans 1, 8 through 10. You know, he does that right there. He goes, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. It's a common occurrence in his prayers. And he goes, because of your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. There's that phrase he does often when he talks about, too, about mentioning you in my prayers. 
He does that, that phrase comes up often when he talks about praying for others. So he says, without ceasing, I mention you in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may at last come to see you. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 is another passage where it's similar in this theme. And he says, do not be anxious about everything, but in, in everything by prayer. It's not so much the frequency, but it's the scope in that particular passage that I'm highlighting. It's not that, it's, that, it's that not he's talking about that he prays every single day, but he's saying, I pray about everything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. So the first kind of standard we want to look at ourselves by, the first template when we compare ourselves, the, the first place where we see where is the gap, it, it would be this one. It's, is my prayer life marked by steadfastness? Is my prayer life consistent? Do I pray about everything? Um, Betty and I have had a rash of things that are broken and not working lately. And so we began to pray about some of them, and they were getting some answered prayers about them. But it's that steadfastness where I always break down. It's that continuum that I always break down. There is very, very, I can't even tell you how many various I should do in this. There are very few things I do regularly or consistency, or at the same time. Very few. When you have someone say you should pray continually, or regularly, or steadfast, that's something that flies right in the face of my personality and my habits. And so here we are. We're beginning to see God answer some prayers with some things, and providing in some areas. And what I always do is I get impatient. Because I've got a couple more things I want to see him work in, but he's not doing it fast enough, so let's step in and help him. Instead of waiting and continuing to pray, and being steadfast in that prayer. If he's already answered in a couple areas, he provided the money to fix this, he provided that, and now we have these other things, well, why wouldn't I continue? It's the, and this is where Paul's saying, like, just be steadfast in your prayer. Just be continual in your prayer. Just be diligent in your prayer. So when we look at our lives, when we look at our prayer life, can we say that we are diligent, that we are steadfast, that these words like always and, and, and continually are words that could be used about our prayer life. This is when you hear about all the time. When people talk about their prayer life, they go, well, we're supposed to pray all the time. We're supposed to be praying prayer continually. You know, and people go, how do you do that? We'll probably be exploring that as we look at Paul's life. So this very first area is the evaluation uh, of prayer evaluation is steadfast and continual prayer. The next category that we can look at that we've already mentioned here is this. We find it in Philippians 1.9. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and discernment. So the next area of talking about categorizing our prayer is do we pray about love? 1 Thessalonians 3.12 was another example. And the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all men, just as we also do for you. Second Thessalonians 3.5. And may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. If you're trying to get down all these passages, what I'm going to, I'll be, tomorrow I'm going to send you like a PDF with all the ones that I use for my study. There's, like I said, other guys on the web have cataloged all the prayers I'll send you the ones that I use for my study. So if you're trying to get all these, don't worry about it. When we consider the Lord's teaching and the teaching of the apostles, especially Paul's, 
for instance, in 1 Corinthians 13, where he talks about, about love, or in John's teaching in 1 John, love is foundational. You know, matter of fact, in, in John 13, 35, Jesus himself said, it is the standard by which people will know who you belong to. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And honestly, I don't think that my growing in love is something I pray about. It's only when I'm dealing with somebody that I don't like, right? Dear Lord, I've got to have this meeting today. Please help me to love them. That's what we do. We do it in those kind of times. But Paul is talking about like going, this is something we should abound by. This is something we should be growing in. And he's constantly, and, and you know what? If Paul's praying about it, what is that saying about it? Is that not saying that it's something that we all need to be growing in? Is that not saying that it's something that he is trying to grow in and that he knows that his disciples and these churches and these people he's writing to, that they need to grow in? He's not going to write about things that are unimportant. He's writing about things that are absolutely important. And here he says, may we abound in our love for one another. And so the second area is this area of growth and love. The third area, which is an area that I really like, and I'm, I haven't really studied it in depth, but I love coming against it when I read it and finding it in my reading. And that's this area of knowledge. I believe it's Peter who often talks a lot about knowing as well. And so I, that's probably why I love Peter's writing in his letter. Here in, first, uh, no, in Colossians 1, 9 through 10. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. There's that theme. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. He throws it in there twice. One time, being filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then he mentions it again as increasing in the knowledge of God. Ephesians 1, 16 and 17. Do not cease to give thanks for you. I do not cease to give thanks for you. There, there's that theme. Remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Philippians 1, 9 through 11. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. There's that love theme with knowledge and discernment. I don't know that I pray about knowledge in that same way, do you? I, I think that what I do is to say that I do pray that I would know him better. I do pray that I would know his will. But Paul is praying about it in a way that's really different than the way I pray about it. That I would love him better, that I would serve him better. This is, the, this is, this is what I think about it. And Betty has really caught my attention with a statement she said recently. She's really reading Paul Miller's book, Love Walked Among Us. And she's talking about... Uh, someone that we love, that we would love for them to know Christ. And she says, she says, if only they knew Jesus the way that Paul's describing him, the way that this author knows Jesus, they would love him. They would really love him. When we know somebody, we give them the benefit of the doubt. When we know somebody, we want to be around them. When we know somebody, we love them better. And so that's what happens when we know Jesus. When we know him, we want to love him better. We serve him better. We follow more diligently. 
When we know Jesus, we find out that the promises he makes are true promises and that I can trust his promises. Time and again, Paul is saying that your knowledge of him, of his will, of his ways, he's praying for us. Whenever he's praying these things, he's praying for us. And he says that your knowledge would grow and abound. That's the third area. And then the fourth area is the area of the power of God in our life. Ephesians three sixteen through 17. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Colossians 1 and 10. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Romans fifteen thirteen, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit may in you may abound in. This very much reminds me of Paul's verse in Galatians 2.20, which I learned a long time ago as a teenager, where he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer Christ who lives, but it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. This power where Christ is doing something in us. I don't do it. He does it in me. And so here it is. Many times in his prayer, Paul's picking up on this theme where in Ephesians he says, strengthened with power through the Spirit. And in Colossians, with all power according to his might. In Romans 15, the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul is speaking about something here where there is some God's power through the Holy Spirit his power working through us. It, it reminded me of 2 Corinthians 4 where Paul wrote, but we have this treasure in, jar, in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. And Paul's prayer really is in essence saying that, that people would see God's power evident in us and it would grow and it would bound. And so when we think about our prayer lives, again, another standard, another measurement, another gauge is this. Do we pray for the power of God to be evident in our lives? Do we pray that the power of God would be evident in our lives? When we look at these four areas, notice that the first one is talking about steadfast, continual prayer. That is in communication with him. And then growth in love, that is he's talking to us about our relationships around us. Knowledge of him is talking about how we know him and the depth we know him in. And then the power of God in our life is how his power is demonstrated in our life. Just take note that these prayers very much, while they might be about people, they are about God working through people and working in people. Note that that's kind of a common thread that runs through these in some way or another. It's not about what we do. It's about how God is working in our lives. It's about how he's asking us to love each other in Christ He's talking about us knowing God, his will. He's talking about us allowing the power of God to live, dwell richly inside of us, to be working out of us, as Paul said in that Corinthians passage, so that the surpassing, passing power belongs to God. So people see it, so people know it. So when we look at our prayer life, these four areas, this week when we pray, do we find that we, we either start out our day or we end our day as we did as children? Have we grown in our prayer a little bit? Because as children, very often it would be that we'd pray when we went to bed. I don't ever remember praying any rest of the day. 
But have we gone from praying one time a day to praying more than that? To praying throughout the day? Have we found that ourselves that we are praying about how we love others and that we are growing in that love of others? Have we prayed that we're, we're praying about the power of God being demonstrated in our life and that we are yielded to him in such a way that it's obvious that he's at work in us, that he's doing things in us and through us that we can never do on ourselves? And that we are praying, are we praying that we know him more intimately, more deeply? That we can say we know him. Last week when we ended up our service, you had a note card on your chair. Not this week you don't, but I'm just referring to it. You had a note card on your chair. And it had the verse that we were talking about last week, Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? And encourage us to think about it during the week. I didn't give you a note card this week. But I am encouraging this week as you pray that you look at these four areas. You've jotted them down on the back of your bullet, on the back of your hand, in your journal, wherever it may be. And you've thought, like, what is my prayer life being marked by? As we study Paul's prayers, we're going to be looking at what his prayer life was marked by, and we're going to want to be modeling ours after his. Whether you do it in a little note card and just make one of your own. And this, what we did with it was we put it on our kitchen table, had a little this thing that stood up, and we would read it before breakfast, read it in the quiet times in the morning. So whatever you do, just do it so that it's in front of you, so you're thinking about it. So as you pray, you're thinking about it, and you're looking at your prayer life compared to it. This morning, what I want us to do is I want us to close, not in the way that we usually pray, um, where it is more free form. We're going to read Paul's prayer. I'm going to read Paul's prayer. I'm going to pray it. And it's right out of Ephesians. So this would be our closing prayer. And I love, love, love this prayer. I'm looking forward to teaching this prayer. It's Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. And this is what I pray for myself. This is what I pray for you. This is what I pray for our church. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in, in the saints. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above our rule and authority and power and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but in, in also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. May it be so in us here at Crossing. In your name I pray.